it's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Illini Pella's Saturday Sports Talk on this gloomy, rainy Saturday morning, January the 18th, with you for a couple of hours. Phone line is open, 356-9397 is the number. We've got uh, plenty to talk about uh, here today. We're going to start talking uh, some college football with uh, Grand Tool native Greg McMahon, who is now an assistant coach at LSU, a national championship ring on his finger now. And Greg joins us on the phone from Louisiana. Good morning, Greg. How are you? Good morning, Steve. How are you? Doing good. Lauren Tate will be here momentarily. <laughs> but uh, let's talk about yeah. uh, you've had five days or so to kind of to look back on uh, what has been an outstanding season. How are you feeling about how the way things went? You know, it's funny. Um I was telling my wife last night, you know, for the first time, because when you're in the middle of it, you're just next game, next game. Every It gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you don't really get to just reflect on it until after the season is over. So for the first time over the last, I don't know, 24, 48 hours, <laughs> that was a heck of a run. I mean, to do uh, what these guys did as a team and the, way, and the fashion they did it is unprecedented. So it was, uh, it was just great to be part of a, a heck of a ride. You've been a part of a lot of uh, good teams. How does this one rank with that? Oh, you know, it's it's uh, it's kind of like which which one of your children do you love better? I mean, it's just it's uh, it's a unique team. It, it's 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 right at the very top. I mean, it's right up there with some some other great teams. You know, certainly the, the championship team we had Illinois. You know, certainly the Super Bowl team we had New Orleans. I mean, this this is a this is a unique group of guys. You know, I tell people. Uh, this is this was a special special group of young guys uh, led by a tremendous leader in, in uh, Ed Orgeron and then this quarterback and just uh, high character guys hard hard workers super duper competitive so it's right up there I can tell you that you got some changes though coming you got a lot of players that'll be uh, departing uh, including the Heisman Trophy winner at quarterback Joe Burrow a couple of assistant coaches moving on but uh, that's part of the game right when you have success. Absolutely. I mean, and you know, if you look over the last, I don't know how many years, but particularly in our, in our league, in our division, you know, you're going to have your best players are always going to come out early. I mean, not always, but traditionally, uh, you know, you look at the teams across the board, they're going to have four or five guys every year because, you know, they have an opportunity to be a first round draft pick. So if you've got an opportunity to be a first round draft pick, you have to make a decision and what's best for certainly for you and for your family. And so that's just uh, kind of the arena that we're in. And so, uh, coaches, coaches, coaches always has a very, very short list. He always has a plan. I mean, always has a plan. So he's he's well ahead of the curve on all that. This is Lauren. You you told me last year that you had talent unbelievable on this team, and I don't think there's any surprise at all of what was accomplished. But uh, do you have that kind of people coming right behind him? 
Boy, I tell you what, man. So we, we, we how about this? We, we got back last night at 8 o'clock. We got to go to the White House yesterday. So huh. I'm walking down with my wife, and we're getting ready to go to the bus. It's been a long day. It's, pretty, it's awesome. And <clears throat> one of our alums or whoever said the same thing. And I'm like, man, we're 40, 72 hours away from winning this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. since, you know, and, but, but, you know, it's, it's, it's a never-ending train, and it's super competitive. And, uh, I mean, certainly – how do you replace it, Joe Burrow? How do you replace? Hey, there'll be guys step up. And uh, if you look at our season throughout the year, we had a lot of guys go down for a game or two. Marshall went down for six games, and and Stephon Sullivan stepped up. And you know, you just you gotta you gotta recruit well. You gotta have depth. And uh, you know, we we always know, Lauren. I was telling Steve, we always understand that a Patrick Queen or a Jacob Phillips or a Caleb on Chason are going to come out early because they normally go out every third year. So we've got to have good young players, and we do. We've got good young players behind these guys to to, to step up. And uh, so, uh, well, well, tell uh, me about special teams. That's what I, I want to know. What what do you got? <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, all our guys are back. Our, our kickers back. Our punters back. Uh, we got to replace our long snapper. He's as good as I've ever had. He's going to go to the pro or the Senior Bowl and the uh, Combine. Blake Ferguson, but we'll. We've got a good young guy behind him, and so and then we got the Stingley, uh, Derek Stingley Jr. is our punt returner, and uh, uh, I feel really good about where we're at special teams wise, and uh, we've got pretty good depth at those positions too. So uh, I think we'll be I think we'll be ready to roll. Did you ever think you'd get by Oklahoma the way you did? I mean, that was a route. That was in the Final Four. Oh, sure. You know, <clears throat> do, do you ever think you're going to win sixty three to twenty eight? Well, gosh, no. But I, I can't speak for Oklahoma, but I can tell you this. I mean, if you look at the – I mean, this team's unprecedented now. We This team once beat seven out of ten top ten teams, and we beat the second, the third, and the fourth teams back-to-back-to-back weeks by 17 points or more. That's unheard of. So did I think we'd do that? Well, gosh, no. But I know this. This is a great football team that felt like they could – anybody we played – we were going to go and win. I can, you could just feel it. And I started with the quarterback and with our head coach, and you could just feel that we were the better team. And we felt like that Monday night. We just felt like we were better. And we felt like we were better in Oklahoma. We felt like we were better in Georgia. And it just was a great run. But to win 63 to 28, no. no not much fan support there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, they're really, hey, so, so we just got back from the White House. So, so you go up to the, I mean, we go up to the, uh, uh, I mean, you, you walk up the steps of every of every big building in in D.C. and there's there's tire nation everywhere. I mean, it's crazy. We're at the we're at the state capitol or at the national and every, at the White House, and there's 200 tiger fans there. I mean, where do they come from? And then uh, we've got a parade at uh, 10 o'clock today for uh, for our team. We'll finish at the at the uh, Pete Maravich Center with uh, with a huge pep rally stuff. So it's 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 pretty cool. And yeah, they're they are all in here. They they like uh, they love the tigers. This is probably not a fair question, but you've coached at a lot of different levels, uh, both uh, college, obviously, and in the NFL. Do you have a favorite team? Do you have a ta- favorite spot? If you write a book, what uh, what's going to be the favorite part of it? Well, it's a, it's a fair question, and 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 I, I look. You guys know me. I mean, I was at Illinois for uh, uh, what thirteen years, and so we had some great football teams. And I mean, that's family. I mean, I hear from. Pachos and Kittner and 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 all those Robert Holcomb call. I mean, I hear from those guys all the time. And you walk together forever with those guys. It's my family. It's uh, Illinois will all, always be an Illini. And so then you go, 
uh, you fly, you know, you go to New Orleans for 11 years, and you, and you got an opportunity to, to be around that quarterback breeze, and, and you got an opportunity to go win a world championship. Are you kidding me? Win a Super Bowl, <laughs> and then uh, and then to come here and go, you know, 45 mi- miles down the road, work with the with with Coach Orgeron, who I've known since 2008, and, and have an opportunity. So I, I mean, we just been very blessed. I mean, we've been very, very, very blessed to. Uh, to be a part of this and so uh, no I don't have a favorite but I've got some pretty cool uh, memories of some really cool places. Another guy you know pretty well is sitting right next to us here he's going to be our next guest. Kent Brown is in the studio and he was at the game the other night. Good morning Kent. <laughs> Good morning and I'll tell you Mac uh, having been around the Superdome it was about 50 to 1 uh, Tiger fans, or no, <laughs> I should say LSU because both teams were Tigers, weren't they? LSU fans, there yeah, was a lot that, of purple and gold in New Orleans. <laughs> Holy cow. Yeah. yeah, I tell you what, Ken, you need to come down to Tiger Stadium sometime. I mean, man, I got buddies, you know, back home and stuff that have come down over the last three years. It's, it is absolutely electric. I mean, when you come out of that stadium in front of 105,000, and I mean, it is purple and gold. And I mean, as you come out of the locker room, as you open up the the doors to come out of the to, to, to the end zone, you can literally feel the locker room shaking. I mean, it's something now. So it's it's a pretty cool uh, it's a pretty cool venue. But uh, that was great. You got to go to the game, and I hope I hope you're going for the right Tigers. Well, <laughs> you know, I actually I, I'll tell these you know, I'm talking about these guys a little bit. That, but uh, Red Grange and Dick Buckus were part of the all all time yeah. top eleven team at halftime, and so I uh, couriered the Red Grange jersey that we've had on display here for decades uh, down for that. Uh, recognition but um i will tell you i i was looking for you on bourbon street afterwards uh <laughs> and i was looking for the person in purple uh along there it was that was a, that was a scene now hey i had I, oh man it was something wasn't it I, I didn't go down on bourbon street man i'm just hey i i just want to go back to my room with my family and just kind of enjoy that uh uh that moment because you know how it is and you you turn around and you, you got to come back home and stuff so i didn't want to i didn't want to go out there with that craziness but uh but i did you know i i uh because I was going out early with the special teams and stuff, and I got a chance actually to see the uh, the the top uh, 150, I believe it was. But I saw I saw Red Grange, but because I was so proud, it was it was awesome. Well, tell me how how do you interpret what your head coach says? Is what I want to know. Have you ever heard a voice like that, yeah. Orgeron? You know, you know, you know what's a uh, well. First of all, uh, my son-in-law, my daughter's husband is. Yeah, Steven is a is full blown Cajun, so I'm getting very, I'm very getting very comfortable with the Cajun <laughs> culture out here. Uh, and I got two little, we, Lynn and I have two little Cajun grandbabies, Isabella and Marissa, so we're kind of getting used to this stuff. But uh, I will say this, uh, you know, Ed's a unique guy. He's, uh, you know, he's got that. His he, he's highly intelligent. He has a plan for everything. He's a tremendous organizer. Best best communicator I've ever been at. Not in football. Best communicator I've ever been. He can go. He can go to the White House and talk to the president. He can go down the bayou and talk to the to the people in the bayou. I mean, he's just a unique character. I mean, he's something now. So uh, you know, past that gravelly voice is a very unique man who's a tremendous leader. And uh, uh, you know, people are starting to figure it out now that yeah, he's got this Cajun accent and stuff. But he's something now. He, he's he's big time good. Well, Greg, we appreciate talking to you as always. When you get back in this part of the uh, country, give us a call. We'll do it again. And uh, congratulations. Have fun in the parade. <laughs> well, guys, I really appreciate you guys. You guys be safe, man. You too. Greg McMahon joining All us. Right. Special Look forward team. to seeing you back up here. Special teams coach for the uh, LSU Tigers, national champions. We're off and rolling on...
Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk. Ken Brown will join us after the break. We're also going to talk Big Ten basketball with Robbie Hummel. We'll hear from Brad Underwood, Trent Frazier, Io DeSumo as well. Darren Fletcher at the top of the hour will join us to talk some baseball. The Hot Stove League Banquet for the uh, Illini baseball team is today. We'll talk about uh, what's going on in Major League Baseball this past week with the Astros and such. Dave Ennett, the voice of the Northwestern Wildcats, will join us at 1030. Then uh, the Cardinal Caravan was in town yesterday. A couple of interviews coming up with Tommy Edmond and Matthew uh, Libertor coming up on the show later on this morning. Stay with us. We'll take a break and be back with more on Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Join us later today for Illini men's basketball back in action against Northwestern at 4 o'clock. 2.30 Illini game day from State Farm Center with Scott Beatty today. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you until 11. Phone line is open 356-9397 as we move up to 916 on this gray Saturday morning. Rain in the forecast. Be careful if you're going out. It's, the roads aren't bad, but... Some of the parking lots are a little bit uh, slippery at this point. Kent Brown is with us. Thanks to Greg McMahon for joining us off the top. Kent was in New Orleans. He, he got the um, honor, maybe you commandeered the honor, <laughs> of uh, taking the Red Grange. I'll do it. Yeah. Taking the Red Grange uh, jersey to New Orleans. Tell, tell us about how that all came about. Yeah, so um, the, a week before the game started, the Monday is actually one week before, the Monday night before, I got an email from ESPN, a producer saying, hey, I'm producing the halftime uh at the national championship game and we're going to recognize the top 11 players of all time and uh do you have a vintage red grange jersey um that his cousin could wear on the field when she gets you know when she's uh she's representing red Mm -hmm. that she could wear on the field and so you know the answer to that is yes we have a vintage red grange jersey and it's been on display since in the football complex since 1986. Before that, I think it was just stored in a, a box in the, in the equipment room for decades and pulled out, pulled out for special occasions or whatever. And But, you know, there was no way we would ever ship that anywhere. You know, I just anytime that's out of your hands, you've lost control of it. And um, I don't think anybody felt comfortable, and I know I didn't <laughs> feel comfortable in doing that. So, so I went in and saw Josh the next morning and kind of explained the request and I kind of just told him, I said, listen, Josh, I only trust a couple people to courier this thing down and down and back and, and to retain it, make sure it stays in our control. And Josh says, well, I'm not going to New Orleans. I said, well, I go, I know this is going to self, sound self-serving, but I'll take it down if we, I think it needs to be there. I think if red is going to be recognized on the field yes. at the national championship game, the 150th anniversary of college football, and we didn't know what number red was going to be, but he was obviously going to be one of the top ones. His jersey needs to be there. This will be the last chance probably his jersey ever be on the field uh, for any kind of recognition. And he says, well, I think you probably need to get a plane ticket. And so uh, so I start working on travel plans and, and uh, on a plane, and ESPN helped me with a hotel and, and a credential. And um, and so, yeah, on Monday night I, or Monday afternoon, I, I guess – I left here Monday morning, got to New Orleans middle of the afternoon and and um, went to the stadium and, and handed off the the jersey to the producer. It's kind of interesting the I, I didn't see one single live play. And I told that to Josh. I, I really don't care about the game. I, mean, I just want to make sure the jersey gets there and gets back. 
and gets recognized. And so I get there. My, my credential was really for only for halftime and, and pregame on the field. So I get there. Um, the, they take me into the green room where they're holding – they're going to gather all the people. And I'm thinking, holy cow, I'm, I'm just going to hang out in the green room, I guess. You know, <laughs> while, uh, this. So at the end of the first quarter, uh, here come they, – they start gathering all the – these all-time greats and they start walking into the room i've got <laughs> barry sanders and jim brown and roger staubach and earl campbell and uh, archie griffin and herschel walker and i'm like oh my gosh you know and there's some relatives of jim thorpe's granddaughter and and uh, heather morningstar who's the cousin of red grange who was our representative and uh dick buckus didn't make it uh a few days before the event something happened i don't i don't know what the reason was they didn't really know because there was a third party that was handling all the plans for it to get there. Uh, I really wish Dick could have been there. It would have been incredibly uh, cool. He, he had planned to come, hadn't you? And he, then had uh, to yeah. cancel? Yeah, we were told, I was told in an email earlier that he was committed to, to be there and was going to be there. And then um, they said a, just a couple of days in advance something happened. So I don't, who knows? You know, it, it, Dick lives in Malibu. It's really difficult for him to travel anymore. Um, and for him to get from there to LAX and the fly, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an issue. So, I, I don't know what the reasoning was. It's too bad. So, yeah, here I am sitting for that whole second quarter, which lasted about an hour, uh, sitting there with these luminaries, right? And and, uh, and so I actually introduced myself to a couple. Roger Staubach uh, is Lovey Smith's all-time idol, favorite player. So I talked to Roger and told him that and sent a picture of Roger to – to Lovey and, and uh, he said he made his day uh, and then Jim Brown was just kind of standing by himself for a minute and I was like so I, I went over and I introduced myself to Jim and I had just spent uh, about a month ago uh, we had gone to one of his former teammates home Bobby Mitchell when we were in Maryland for the basketball game we uh, a couple of us took Bobby's Hall of Fame statue to his house and presented it to him and spent over an hour visiting with Bobby. It was just a, it was a great uh, conversation. And so uh, I told Jim that we had just been there. And so Jim had some, you know, comments about Bobby. And I said there was this big picture on the wall of, of Bobby and Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali. Kareem. He goes, oh, the summit we had. So he knew. So I had a couple conversation stars with those guys. And so I was just, my head was spinning a little bit with, uh, with those superstars. So. So we, we did the thing on the field. Uh, Heather, uh, they took the, the players and put them on a stage. Um, then there was a picture at the end with everybody holding up their, their uniform that they had brought, including the Grange jersey. Um, then it was over, and I gathered my stuff and, and kind of left. I, 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 was, I wasn't kidding about Tamac. It was 50-1 to 1 LSU fans. I really didn't want to be around the stadium when that game ended because it was just going to be a madhouse. <laughs> and uh, so, By the way, did you see Holly Stalker? I did not see Holly. I'm telling you, that, that event um, is so massive, and I did not expect to see Holly. I, I literally got in. I landed at 3 o'clock. I got to my hotel at 4, and I walked over to the stadium soon after that. And I know Holly had been busy all day long. Um, and then I left the next day. And that massive that game, there was so much stuff going on, and then you had the president it took coming so in. Long. The yeah, game took forever. Yeah. It did it, a lot of it passing, a lot of scoring. Yeah, a lot of you know the commercials are longer, the half yeah. times longer. I yeah. mean, there's there's a lot of things that goes into that, um, but it, you don't understand until you see. You know, the Superdome is a big building, and with the LSU contingent, all the stuff going on around that, you had the president and the extra security. It is a massive event. So I did not expect to see Holly. Uh, it's too bad. I know she was buried in that whole thing. So, 
But what a – and I know she was on with you guys on Saturday morning. I mean, the the effort to put that thing on is off the off the charts. Right. <laughs> Uh, if you watched the countdown of the top 150 on, done by ESPN, you, you had a pretty good idea that things were looking good for a couple of uh, U of I greats. And when you got down to the last 11, you're thinking, oh, wow, we've got two in the final 11. What were they, sixth and eighth? Sixth and eighth, yeah. Um, and and we had, uh, they had told us that uh, Buckus was going to be in that final 11 and, and, and obviously red. So very uh, proud. You know, I don't think Illinois fans ever felt like we always knew, right? I mean, anybody who's been around this campus uh, have always kind of known where Red and Dick's place was in, in the history of the game. Uh, they don't need to validate their legacy, but it really validates, again, their legacy of, of what they've meant to the game. Uh, you know, Dick was the top defensive player uh, on the list, and so um, that was and that, that group was chosen by a, a blue-ribbon panel of, of ESPN announcers, uh, experts, staffers, things like that, that they had done this. And if, you, if you'd if you followed ESPN all year long, they had, they had done, I don't know how many hours of, of, of uh, television um, over the season on the 150. Greatest rivalries, greatest traditions, greatest teams, greatest games, greatest coaches, greatest team uh, announcers. You know, I mean, they did the greatest of all these things. And so it kind of culminated with the greatest players uh, and, if, and then Jim Brown was the, the number one. It's hard to argue with any of those people, right? I right. mean, I think Oklahoma State people could probably argue that Barry Sanders, you know, the seasons he had at, in Stillwater, and we'll argue that Red Green. Chris Dorsett wasn't it? Yeah, Tony Dorsett. I mean, I mean, the, the names that aren't on there are just yeah. as good as some of the game names are on there. So just an amazing – when you have 150 years and you have all those uh, – you know the number of teams and the number of players. It's it's quite staggering to think that you're going to have uh, people like Grange and even like Jim Thorpe. You know, from uh, who was even earlier than than mm-hmm. Red. Uh, Jim, I think, finished his career around 1912, and uh, his sweater that he wore <laughs> was there. You know, that his granddaughter uh, had, and so um, it was it was it was a very cool experience. And I'm glad that we were able to get Red's jersey there. Wish uh, Dick could have been on the field, but uh, the fact that we had the Grange jersey present was was pretty cool. Some other Illinois football news this week: some coaching changes on the on the staff. Yeah. That that's going to happen uh, just about every year. Yeah, um, you know, uh, earlier in the week, um, the the salary changes were sent to the board of trustees, and it included. Um, Gill Bird in that, and, and Gill after that had been submitted. Gill came to coach and said, uh, "You know, it's. I think it's probably time. My my family needs me. Um, his wife uh, still lives in San Diego. Uh, my family needs me, and and so um, that position opened as well. And and Lovey uh, knew that uh, he was already going to be replacing one for sure, and and now he had a second one to replace. And uh, those two are su- extremely close." Uh, friends and um, so yeah yes you know I hate to announce good news like that on a late Friday afternoon but uh, it was important to get the those official out there so they could contact uh, recruits and kind of get ahead so that those guys guys could start doing phone calls and things like that and stop the other coaches from calling lovey because uh, right. the positions are filled now isn't <laughs> so. it interesting how lovey has swung from his initial uh, assistant staff that had a lot of NFL play, uh, coaches and now he's going more back toward the college more. 
Yeah, and I haven't talked to him about that. I mean, obviously he's got he, – you know, when he came, uh, a lot of those coaches who he was familiar with and worked with mm-hmm. or who joined him here, and several of them did not have a lot of college background. He even hired a high school coach, Patterson. Right, and he, all right. Of course, and he hired his son, Miles, and, and, he, and uh, Bellamy, I think, is a – Really good addition from the standpoint of being a former Illini. I don't yeah. Have, don't have many of those. No, and, and Luke Buckus was on that staff for a while, you know, yeah. as an Illini. So it's always good to have, I think, uh, some alum on in uh, a sense of that. Uh, but, uh, you know, the defensive tackles coach, uh, Alfred uh, uh, Davis, uh, young guy, very early in his career, and but seems like a real on-the-rise coach. And, and um uh, coach Lindsey, the other new coach, will be coaching defensive ends. He's the uh, for, come from Western Kentucky, and seems like he's had some real success at each of his stops. When you watch Lovey last season, basically in practice, what where did he? I, I know he's the defensive coordinator for himself, but what position did he mainly? Was he working with Miles at linebacker more, or was he working in secondary? Because um, I know previously he worked more in the secondary. Yeah, no, I think with with uh, Gill and and uh, Kenodo back there and the defensive backs, I think he was more linebackers. But he moved around too. Mm-hmm. He, you know, yeah. he he always moved around in that area. Um, but I do think he probably helped in the linebackers a little bit, just because there was two defensive back coaches uh, already in space there. So you spent a little time last night in Danville, Illinois. <laughs> Honoring Mike Small, right? Yeah, so um, Danville High School has their uh, Wall of Fame, and it's the, they induct uh, you know alumni who have gone on to do great things. And uh, Mike Small um, last night was uh, inducted. Uh, it was it was a really nice event. Uh, Doug Burnett is, was the other person uh, from Danville, and Doug's involved in auto racing and and several different things, and is a as an agent, apparently, it was kind of interesting. Uh, uh, Bill Small introduced Mike, and and so you know it's really hard. It, it's funny. I've known the, both of those guys for a long time, and uh, when you're talking about family and someone you love, how emotional you get mm-hmm. through that whole thing. <laughs> and both those guys, uh, it, it's hard to talk about that stuff because there were so many of their friends and family present. Uh, to not get emotional when you're talking about someone like that you're so proud of, and you can tell Bill is extremely proud of Mike is for good reason. So it was very, very cool. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, Doug Barnett, the the other inductee last night, uh, his introducer was Artis Gilmore, and I, I I walked in the room, I saw this extremely tall, large man at the front of the room. I was like, who is that? Because <laughs> I was trying to place, you know, what Danville person that could possibly be, and and uh, he had flown in from Florida. Uh, he's been long term longtime friends with Doug and and did the introduction for for him and so I had a chance to talk to artists real quickly afterwards I just wanted to introduce myself because he's a large he's maybe the biggest man I've ever spoken to Artist holy Gilmore cow. Jim Brown uh, what you, a week you, you, <laughs> I told my wife I said I've had an unbelievable sports Steve week Kelly? I said unbelievable sports week and Mike she, Small yeah, yeah. I go it's been pretty incredible I Hall of Famers and all-timers uh, this week it's been one of those what was the connection with Artist Gilmore and the other inductee I think Doug uh was an agent for him I see um years ago and uh and so they'd had friendship and and since that time and remained close and and so he came in for that and so it was it was a very nice event danville high school very proud they have an uh, incredible tradition there of some of the people have come through that high school and they like to recognize them uh, 
the right thing to do. And basketball this afternoon, Northwestern in town. Yeah, you know, there's a big alumni uh, reunion this weekend, too, for basketball, so a lot of people come back for that. And uh, 4 o'clock today, it's supposed to get a little bit colder as the day goes along, so I hope our fans still show up. This is a big game coming off the first week being ranked uh, for five years. We talked about that a little bit this week. It's really early to get too excited um, uh, where we're at in the standings, and, and but we're only six games into the, the conference, but it's fun to be – where we're at versus where we've been the last couple of years just because of the start slow start to the league play so you can't discount what being ranked means because when you're in the top 25 the first thing that happens is you, you it's in the paper it's in you know you're you, if you're 26 you might not get your score read you know it but is and that's that's part of the being in the top 25 your your score goes on the bottom line all the time and and uh your scores get read and the you know it just gets listed a lot more and and um, and so there is a there is a advantage to that. We've known it's been that way forever, right? We there is uh, an inherent advantage to being in the top twenty-five, and and so let's let's just keep taking them one game at a time, and and uh, hopefully we stay there. That's the the goal is to stay in that top twenty-five, not just to get there, but stay there. Two games last night: Michigan State beat Wisconsin sixty-seven fifty-five, and Iowa put ninety on Michigan, winning ninety to eighty-three. So the home court. Thing continues by my numbers. It's thirty-eight and six now. The correct. home team winning. That is correct. How many uh, points did uh, Garza have? Thirty-three, seventy-seven in two games <laughs> against <Holy> Teske. <laughs> What's okay. that say about Teske? I don't well, know what I, that I, means. I, I love listening to well, this. Teske's a really good, solid player. He's a really good defensive player. I'm thinking. You have to say something good about everybody, right? If you're on TV, you have to say something good. But my goodness, he gave up 77 points to, the, to his opposing center in two games. Well, the first in the first game, uh, Juwan Howard said Garza scored on him, not Teske, on the coach, because he said that Teske played him the way I told him to play him. Well, he apparently didn't change that strategy last night, but he got uh, 33 more. Kent, we appreciate your time. Yeah, no, you guys uh, appreciate uh, getting a chance to do that. I, it's a, always a an honor to represent the University of Illinois at things like uh, in New Orleans. I mean, it it really wasn't about going to the game. It was about making sure that Illinois was represented with, with Red's jersey and, um, and you know, the, the history here. We were very proud of Red. Obviously, we have two statues around our stadium complex, right, Dick Buckus and Red Grange. Uh, there's a reason why. Those two have established themselves at a different level than everybody else that's come through here. And um, and so very proud to be able to represent those guys and and, uh, and to do that. And so, uh, you know, we'll just have to, in 150 years, somebody else will get a chance to do that, <laughs> right? Hopefully there'll be somebody, maybe Reddles to be on the on the list. You never know. But somebody else uh, hopefully will be up there for the next time. Big question is you got the jersey back okay, Brought right? the jersey back. I, I never let that thing really out of my <laughs> side. I carried it in my backpack the whole way. I didn't check it. I wasn't going to do anything, but it carried it in my backpack the whole way. And, and uh, that's, that's maybe our most valuable artifact that we have in our department, and it's been on display for a long, long time and something that we're very proud of. And We have his shoes. We've got some shoulder pads. Have you got more than one jersey? We don't have more than one jersey. There's one, uh, one other jersey at the uh, College Football Hall uh-huh. of Fame. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's a couple, but it's, it's a pretty special piece, and so something that we're all very, very proud of. Thanks, Kent. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. See you, you this afternoon. All right. It is 9.34, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. We'll talk some more Big Ten basketball with Robbie Hummel when we come back. Stay with us. Back after this. Join us on Sunday for more Illini women's basketball. Mike Kuhn has the play-by-play. From Columbus, Ohio, it's Illinois and Ohio State at 1 Sunday on DW. 
Moving up on 937 here on DWS, Line Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. And if you've been uh, thinking about replacing the doors in your home, you're probably already aware that the most important doors are the entry door and the patio door. Well, a trip to the Pella Window Store at 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign will help clear up what sometimes is an overwhelming situation. Mike Mary and uh, the guys from Illini Pella have been fixtures in this community for almost 50 years now. There are many choices in windows and doors, and the Pella Window Store has eight patio doors on display at all times there. It will not only uh, help you decide what's best for your project, they'll stand behind them with a limited lifetime warranty. And they offer kind of one-stop shopping, really. You've got the products. You can talk about installation and financing if you need to. Window and door shopping is not something you do every day, so you want to get it right the first time. That means doing your research, setting a budget, work with the pros at uh, the Pella Window Store. Then you'll have something to show off to your family and friends. The Pella Window Store, 1001 North Country Fair Drive in Champaign. Open Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, Saturdays by appointment. They also have stores in Danville, Decatur, and Bloomington. Check them out online at thepellaofchampaign.com. 9.38 on Illini Pella, Saturday Sports Talk. Talking some Big Ten basketball, Robbie Hummel is on the line with us, former Purdue star. Robbie, have you ever seen anything like the home court advantage so far this season in the Big Ten with 87% of the games being won by the home team? No, I don't think I have, and... You know, I always have thought that home court advantage was certainly a big part of playing in this league. Um, but I don't think I've ever seen the blowouts and the blowouts of the top teams. Like Michigan State going to Purdue and losing by 30 is almost mind-blowing to me because you've got guys that have played in the Final Four. You've got the best point guard in not just the league, but maybe the country in Cassius Winston. And certainly they've had some things go against them with, with Josh Langford and their team has had some interesting things with Cash Winston's brother passing away. But, you know, I, I just – to lose by 30 is insane. That, that's, a lot, that's a lot of points. Um, just to lose in that fashion I think was surprising. And, and that's been kind of everybody. You know, it doesn't matter who you've been, Ohio State, Maryland. Um, you know, I've seen Indiana look amazing against Florida State and then the next game turn around and come up to Wisconsin. And we were doing the game. We were like, man, this is going to be a really good game. And Indiana got beat by 35 points. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's just been, it's been pretty wild. And Brad Underwood actually said something interesting to us last time I, I was with you guys. Um, I believe it was up in Madison that he, he thought the three-point line getting moved back had really affected teams shooting on the road and that it's kind of shrunk the floor opposed to stretching it because guys aren't making shots. And, I mean, you just, you've just you had so many blowouts on the road. It's been, a, it's been an interesting year. It's going to be a fun tournament. It's going to, it's going to be wild. You know, Robbie, when you talk about that three-point line, I also see, other than the corners, which are the closest, that guys are shooting that shot maybe another two, three, four feet outside that line even. I mean, it just seems to me like guys are – uh, they don't care how far out they go, and and that's a hard shot when you get out that far, isn't it? Yeah, you you could call that I think like the Steph Curry effect, right? Like everyone now is, and I think also college kids are trying to prove that they have range, and which to me is dumb, especially if you don't have it. Don't if you don't have it, you certainly should shoot that shot because you're only proving to everybody that you can't make it, right? Um, that is a tough shot, and I, I always thought, you know, my two years in the NBA. 
the high school line is like a, a layup after you shot that. I think that the the college line becomes like normal, but the three the three point line in the NBA is way out there. And yep. when you start looking at guys like JJ Redick or Ray Allen who are coming off screens and not shooting set three point shots, those those guys are the one percent of the one percent of shooters. Like those those guys are elite, and they make it look so easy, and it's not because it, it's it's tough to shoot with that type of NBA range and do it at that type of level. And you're right. It's like, if you can scoot in, why wouldn't you, you're only making it easy on your easier on yourself. And actually myself as a player, I had an issue with, I was always the guy that would hug the line. And because of that, I was notorious for putting my toes on the three point line. And I, I paid the price for it. I'm sure I also got the benefit of the doubt as both a pro and in college where Rest assumed that I was behind the line, but I definitely wasn't. I, I, I still, <laughs> even when I play today, I am the king of the toe on the line three, which you know they say is the the worst shot in all basketball. Well, Robbie, let's talk a little bit about Illinois and where you think they stack up. It's a, it's been a good start. They play Northwestern in a tough afternoon game. Um, I say tough because it's a rivalry, and and Northwestern sure. beat Illinois last year, and we saw that. Yeah, so, right. Your thoughts? You know, are, go ahead. I, I, I just think that Illinois is a team that they, they honestly need me to do more of their games. Whenever I see them, they play great. You know, I had them against Michigan, and they looked pretty good there. And I had them up at the Kohl Center, and you guys broke the, what was it, 15-game streak of losing to, to Wisconsin and hadn't won there in like, you know, 10 years almost. So um, I, I've been impressed when I've seen you guys in person. I think the Rutgers win has to be very encouraging because you didn't shoot the ball great. And Rutgers is a team that, that, to me, you know, everybody talks about how improved they are. That right now, they're in the NCAA tournament, and they get Geo Baker back. And I know he didn't play against Illinois, but I think that was a good sign to see where they can win a grinding out game. And finally, they're they're guarding people. I think you have to give Brad Underwood a ton of credit for saying, "All right, even though my philosophy has been let's get out in the passing lanes, let's let's pressure, let's funnel guys to our bigs to block shots." He's kind of abandoned it, you know. He hasn't kind of. He has abandoned it, and they, they play more of a, a kind of pressure, uh, normal pressure defense. Well, they'll get in the passing lanes a little bit, but they're not certainly overplaying their man like they used to. Um, but I, I've been really impressed. I thought the win at Wisconsin was was a big one for, for Illinois, and I, I thought Io DeSumo was fantastic. He made every play down the stretch. He got to the basket. He made the big three. Um, Kofi Coburn has been. Honestly, I think he's a pro, and I, I I have to think that he would probably at least test the waters. And you know, there's just not many seven foot guys that can run and move and, and do the things that he can do and stick around in college all that long. Talking uh, basketball with Robbie Hummel, you do games in other leagues. Uh, how does the Big Ten, in your mind, top to bottom, um, stack up against some other leagues you've seen? Yeah, I think you know I was I was in Tallahassee the other night doing a game for, uh, for actually radio for West One, and it was Virginia and Florida State, and you know, those are two. I guess Virginia has kind of struggled, but Florida State is going to be up there to maybe win the ACC. And offensively, they looked a little bit challenged in the half court, but to me, the ACC is, is certainly top heavy with Duke, and, and I, I guess you could say Florida State, Louisville, um, and North Carolina has fallen off a cliff here. I do a lot of Big 12, and to me, Kansas, I think, is a team that can that can be a Final Four team. Texas Tech is is pretty good. Baylor has been fantastic. Like, And Scott Drew deserves so much credit because they've gone and 
kind of switched their defensive philosophy. They're playing a bunch of man-to-man. They've got a great league guard in Jared Butler. Um, they're really good. They could make the Final Four as well. But to me, the depth of the Big Ten is what differentiates it. I think right now you can make a solid case for 11 or 12 teams in the Big Ten Conference that they can make the NCAA tournament still. And that is an incredible statistic. Um, with, with you know, We're getting close to February now, and um, certainly some of those teams, I think like in Indiana or Purdue, they, they definitely have work to do. Um, but it's the depth of the league is fantastic, and it, it's been proven that on any given night, you can lose to anybody. You know, Nebraska's got, got snuck up on people at home. They've gotten Purdue. They've gotten Iowa. Um, and it goes all the way to the top. So it's going to be a fun year. It's going to be an awesome conference tournament. When we started this conversation, you talked about some of the uh, blowout wins. One you did not mention was the uh, Purdue game at uh, the State Farm Center in Champaign. And next Tuesday, <laughs> I, I blocked it out of my mind. I know, I but it. It was, but it was Tuesday, so Tuesday, Illinois goes to a West Lafayette. You've got an idea what might be waiting there, right? I'm sure that that that, that <laughs> film is going to be watched. There's no question about that. I'm sure Coach Painter will have those guys watch that. And for whatever reason, they've been like most of the league, a totally different team at home. They, they have shot the ball so much better at Mackey Arena. Um, and you guys know how good that place is and what kind of atmosphere it is, environment. So, wish I could be there. It's going to be a heck of a game. I, I really was impressed with Illinois' toughness at Wisconsin. And, you know, I, I think those kids in Champaign, they're hungry to make the NCAA tournament. Illinois has not been there in quite some time now, which is so unique, I guess. I was growing up as a kid and and my grandparents live in Champaign, going to the games. Illinois was what I feel, I feel like they were always in the NCAA tournament. So it's it's certainly been talked about. I'm, I'm sure their players are, are, are aware of that. They want to get back. They're, they're sick of being in the, the bottom third of the league. And I think that that shows with the way they've played and the way guys have improved. And I think you have to give somebody – we talked about Io, we've talked about Kofi, but somebody like Alan Griffin deserves a ton of credit because – he plays hard. He can make shots. I know he didn't have a great game against Rutgers. I think it's one for nine. But um, guys like that help win games. His effort helps you win games. It just looks like, to me, guys on Illinois' team have really bought into what Brad Underwood is selling. Well, you know, I when I think about it, we're going to be going over there Tuesday night, and that's like walking into a storm without a raincoat or an umbrella. I mean, <laughs> you go in there yeah. and you're just swept away by the – as soon as, as – soon as, uh, as Purdue makes any kind of a run, that place gets so loud you can't you can't even think straight. Yeah, I know. You know, it's funny you say that. I I didn't think that it used to get the credit it deserved yep. um, back, especially when I was even playing. I don't think people nationally understood how loud it gets in there, how tough of a place it is to play. Um, you know, I just Lauren, I've seen that work against us though. My, my sophomore year, we played Duke, and we were both in the top ten. It was Big Ten AC Challenge game. The hype was crazy. Like, it was it was full when we went out for the first time to the court at, like, an hour before the game. And I honestly thought that that was – you know, Duke gets that every time they play. They, they get every environment's best shot. And they were totally prepared for it. They were really good. They had John Shire and Gerald Henderson and Greg Paulus, Kyle Singer. They, they had a great team. But I thought that that – we were all sophomores. I thought the environment overwhelmed us. And I thought it, it kind of hurt us, actually. Now, I thought that game also prepared us the next year where we were really, really good and we were all juniors and seniors where we can beat, you know, all these ranked teams in that environment and we can handle that and we can go on the road. It, it was a good learning experience, but 
you're absolutely right. When you walk into that building, it can be overwhelming. And it can also overwhelm the home team, I feel like. But it's, just, it's certainly a special environment in college basketball. I'm going to take you one, uh, one last question here about the, the portal. The football portal is getting, going to be loaded up after today, and a lot of players will be leaving early. Uh, in yep. football and is, in basketball, uh, Robbie, it just goes crazy. How many do you think will go in the portal this year? A thousand? <laughs> the portal is that magical place where you uh, the grass is always greener on the yep. other side, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it, to me, it's, you know, I think there's arguments on both sides. I, I do feel like for these kids, you know, it's hard to tell them they can't leave when the coaches can leave at any time. And, and I, I see that side of it. Um, but I also feel like if it becomes the Wild West, it's just it kind of builds a soft culture of, well, I'm not playing, so I'm just going to leave instead of, like, fighting through. You know, and I, I think that's too bad. But um, because for the most part, I've always felt like for guys that work hard and stick it out, it usually works out for them. So I, I just think that um, I, I'm kind of – I guess I'm divided on that. In certain situations, I'm for it. In others, I, I think it's kind of soft. Hey, Robbie, always good to catch up and talk basketball with you. We appreciate your time. Thanks. Yeah, of course. Thanks, guys. That's Robbie Hummel from BTN. He's working some games in some other conferences as well on television and radio. 9.49 is the time. And Illini Palace Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. We'll take a break, talk some baseball. Darren Fletcher is here. We'll do that when we come back after this. Stay with us. Welcome back to the show, everybody, on Saturday morning. Illini I fellow Saturday Sports Talk, 9.53 is the time. The phone lines are open, 356-9397. If you'd like to join us, Lauren Tate, Steve Kelly with you until 11. Thanks to Greg McMahon and Kent Brown, two of our early guests in the first hour. Darren Fletcher is going to help us close out the first hour and start the second hour talking some baseball. Darren is, of course, an Illinois Hall of Famer in town for the Illini Baseball Hot Stove League Banquet. Buck Showalter in town today, yes. Darren. Good to see you, my friend. Good to see you, Steve and Lauren. Yeah, Buck Showalter's in. He's uh, His name's been thrown around a little bit yeah. on uh, possibly getting a uh, manager's job. Yeah, there's some open. Yeah, there's some opening. Maybe some more, you never some know. Some came pretty quickly. And uh, sure as I told you on the phone yesterday, when issues come up in baseball, I often uh, very quickly think of you, and especially this one when it involves uh, stealing of signs and yes. uh, such. Uh, that's been going on since Abner Doubleday way back when. Sure has. I saw something the other day. It said baseball players have been stealing signs since signs have been given. Right. You know, as soon as it's um, something that has been a part of the game and and was also – it was kind of looked at as kind of a gamesmanship. And it was my job as a catcher to – hide those signs to have some sort of code system with the pitcher and the middle infielders where they couldn't pick it up um but uh, that was uh you know that was your father's way of stealing signs today's times um the technology is a little different story. is that that that's the main issue here right yeah for me the main issue is using technology that we have in today's times to steal signs and that's that's out of bounds and, and it has to be cleaned up were you responsible for all the call? I mean, of course, a pitcher guy is supposed to shake you off, but basically mm-hmm. you had to give this. You were running the game, right? Yeah, that's what I tell my friends, too. I'm always <laughs> running the game. Well, and how paranoid were you about the fact that somebody's always trying to get? I'm super paranoid. Oh, super paranoid. And the pitchers are, too, Lauren. Uh, we always go over the, the signs before the start of the game, and um, there was an elaborate 
we, we used an elaborate system. Sometimes we'd give three and four signs even with um, no one on base. Now, typically, the problem would be with a man on second base. Yeah. Man on second base from the opposing team. You're always alert to that. You're always alert to that. He's staring at my, he's staring at my signs, and if you're not – I always call it lazy. If you're lazy with your signs and, and not – and using just very simple high schoolish type signs, they're going to pick it up pretty quickly. So you've got to be, you've got to be smart on how you give. Did you change signs. from inning to inning? We change from pitch to pitch. Each pitch, you know, it, it, we used to do a thing called a head behind even. So when you're even in the count, it was the first sign. When you're behind the count, it was oh, the wow. second sign. And when you're ahead in the count, it was the third sign. And the shake would be either the second sign, or you shake it was the last sign, or he would do a, a systems of just kind of if he. It, the shake wasn't even he wouldn't even shake his head he'd kind of like flick his glove at me and I knew what sign he was going to go to so you know um that stuff is tough to pick up and when you're just a guy gets crossed up you could you could get crossed up but my thing is is that it, it's elaborate enough where you should confuse a guy on second base but over time like I was um telling my friends driving in um over time if you have with the technology over time if you have a person that is simply just assigned to watching my signs and maybe advanced scouting my signs and then they come in eventually you're going to pick that up and that's where it gets a little bit hairy it's where you know hey Fletcher's using this in the second inning he's using this in the fourth inning he has a he has a tendency to do this um then it gets a little gets a little tougher and I I bet you dollars to donuts come in spring training a lot of these managers and pitchers and catchers are going to get together and they're going to try to um, get even even more elaborate even more complex with their can signs. you put something in a helmet I mean could you put something in a pitcher's know. cap to, well, to I guess you could um, but the only thing is is that not only are my signs for the pitcher Lauren they're also for the middle infielders yeah. too so the middle infielders want to know what's coming because they're positioning themselves on fastball breaking. Mode. Reversing that, when you came up to bat, did you want to know? Not particularly. Not particularly. Uh, you know, 80% of the pitches in Major League Baseball are fastball, so my body and I'm, my mind is always prepared for the fastball. I guess the advantage would be, is a, for me, it would be to know that it's a breaking ball coming, especially with two strikes. Because I, when, you're, when, when you're in two-strike territory, you're in – you're in danger of striking out. You've got to cut down your swing. But it, <coughs> excuse me, if it's two and two, bases loaded, and somehow I get a signal that it's a it's a soft pitch, well, it's a huge advantage for me because I can as sit back. As long as it's right, as long as, long as, as it's right. right. <laughs> but if it's right, and then I'm trusting my sources, um, that's that's uh, that's a big advantage for the hitter. We're talking baseball with Darren Fletcher. The phone lines open if you'd like to jump in with a question and or a comment. Three five six nine three nine seven is the number as we move up towards the 10 o'clock hour. So when you gave a sign mm -hmm. behind the plate, you were not only concerned that the pitcher got the sign, you were wondering who else saw it too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm. Uh, you're, you're always worried about it. Do you ever get the feeling that somebody was in the opposing dugout or opposing bullpen or something with binoculars? or you, I, I don't know if you know, ever the, thought about video at that point. But. Yeah, the video was coming into the game, and there was uh, obviously, um, you know, um, it, you, you were conscious of it, and a lot of guys were conscious of it, so you, you had to mix it up. Um, but it's, it, it, it's a complicated deal. My thing is is that they, they had to, even if they stole my signs, somehow, Steve, they had to relay that to the hitter, and that's where I felt like mm -hmm. I was good that I could catch them. But again, technology, if they can buzz somebody and um, – let them know what I'm calling or flash a, a light in center field toggling a switch, which would be very tough to, to detect on my part. 
that that's that's beyond and out of bounds in my opinion. What should baseball do now that they I don't know. We fired we, three managers. Yeah, so. fire. You got to clean it up. I don't know. What do you do to to they were saying, players? Well, they were saying I um, heard that they were talking about putting somebody from Major League Baseball in the dugouts. Have you heard this? No. You know, maybe like monitoring what's going on inside Major League dugouts. I mean, can you imagine that? I don't think you should go that far. I know if I'm well, just take the cameras out of center field and you got no problem, right? There's always been a live feed. Now live feeds have always been, and and the live feed is 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 nothing sinister. The live feed that you're getting at the uh, ballparks is for the video guys to film the bats for the for the players and film the pitcher throwing because they're using that for instructional stuff after the game. But as soon as you move that live feed closer and closer to the dugout, I think then you've got a problem. Put your headphones on there. Um Darren, if you will, we've got a caller on the line, one of our usual guys, Marty, calling from Pinehurst, North Carolina, with a baseball question. Go ahead, Marty. Probably. Uh, Steve, Lauren, great, as usual. Darren, you probably won't remember me. I was a head basketball coach at Villa Grove years ago, played you guys in a regional final. Yes, I do um, remember that. And uh, unfortunately, fortunate for us, you had some guys that got caught drinking or something, got suspended, and I was able to play a diamond one on you, which was a good thing because you were a hell of a basketball player. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, I enjoyed that. But basketball. here's my real observation. Uh, with the dugout thing, how about you get rid of having it right next door to the dugout, move it away, and just have the coaches make a decision whether to do replay or not on their own instincts instead of waiting so many seconds for this. And then uh, – the last observation I want to make for you, and I'll get give me your thought on that at the end. I umpired, I coached baseball, but we played summer league. I umpired a game you played against St. Joe, uh, and I was behind. I was base umpire that game, and I want to tell you I've umpired college ball, I umpired high school, I umpired double A fast pitch softball. You hit a ball between knee and ankle high that went by me and stayed knee and ankle high till it got nearly to the center fielder. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I didn't get my leg moved out of the way because it almost hit me until the ball was past me. It scared me to death. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't have metal bats back then. That is, I want to tell you, the hardest hit ball of all my years of being around baseball I ever saw. Right. You just smoked that damn thing. Well, and I probably knew I was what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I was impressed with you as an athlete, basketball and baseball. Well, thank but you. I, I appreciate like that. Give, That's very nice of you to I'd, say. Oh, it's it's deserved. Thank I'd, you. I'm I'm glad you. I'm. It was bad for you, but I'm glad those guys got suspended because I could play a diamond and one on you and keep you from getting the ball, and that <laughs> saved us in the regional. Yeah. Um, what do you think about instant replay, moving things away, and just letting coaches make a decision without going back and forth with video crap all the time? Well, I think that's a good point. I, I, I've I've heard that as an option, and I think that's probably the best way of going about it. Uh, the definitely beer. move. Definitely move those live feed cameras and make sure that there's some sort of uh, mandatory distance that they need to be away from. You know, I guess they could still somehow relay something with a eye watch. I've heard that from you know maybe the Boston Red Sox. There was a, some sort of watch involved. So you, you've there's ways around it, but definitely at least get that live feed out of the dugout. And then you know I don't know a whole lot about these coaches that are looking at the replays. Um, uh, I wish they'd just get rid of the replay. Well, they, they've in, got slow-mo, so they, they Bingo, know. Get rid of the replay. Yeah, I get like rid it. of the replay, in my opinion. Just get rid of it because it's, you know, it's silly, in Speed my opinion. Up. Speed the game up and all that. So I, I think those are, are, are valid points, and I think that's a, at least where to start. But like I was saying, um, 
with Steve and Lauren is, is I think the, the first day in spring training, the pitchers and the catchers and the managers are going to get together and they're going to try to, to, to develop a little bit more complex um, sign giving. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it may be it, they're, they're going to have to really spend some time and think about it and, and figure out something that uh, that's going to be awfully hard to decode. It may end up being some sort of number system like a wrist uh, on a, on your uh, your wrist. Well, they've got know, wristband. That, they've got that. Uh, In right some college co- yeah. colleges, they use the wristband, and they may use a number system where somehow it touches or whatever, and then you look at your wristband, and then you know what pitch is coming. It's gotten to that point because no one's going to – everyone's going to be paranoid about it. Everyone's going to say, well, it's cleaned up. But we all know it's not cleaned up. So Another question for you uh, as a catcher. One thing I enjoy about Illinois is they let the catchers call a game. I'm yes. a little disturbed that, that oh. so many college Drew Drew, Drew Dickinson called a lot of pitches. Yeah. He, well, but I, I, I get frustrated that these catchers aren't learning their craft when you don't let them call the game. And I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that's – if I'm right, that that's holding catchers back when they get to the next level. Yep, you're right. You're very observant. Um, you are holding catchers back because the game is being the the game of baseball is played between the pitcher and catcher. And as soon as you take, as soon as you take that away from the players, you know, I always used to say to a coach or someone that wanted to call my pitches, I say, well, why don't you put the gear on and go back there and do it then? If you want to play so bad, let me play. Um, so yeah. I was very sensitive about people wanting to call my call the pitches because it was a it was a relationship that needed to be built between myself and the pitcher, and I think that that should be um, that should be brought along even at a at a young age of uh, uh, with youth players. And I've always yeah. let the uh, pitcher and catcher call their own game. Hey now, Marty, yeah. you know, I'll get I'll get off because Steve is going to want to get rid of me because I'm a little long winded. <laughs> well, it's, uh, thank you for I the nice comments. And I, I have fond memories of you in high school, and uh, you were quite a sportsman. Thank you. Appreciate it, Marty. Bye bye. Ten oh five. Need to take a break. Got a caller waiting. Stay on the line. We'll come back with Darren Fletcher. Another few minutes with him. If you'd like to join us, three five six nine three nine seven on WDWS Champaign Urbana. Alani Pella Saturday Sports Talk continues after this. It's the second hour of Alani Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397. Or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back to the show at 10.09. Illinois Hall of Famer Darren Fletcher is spending some time with us here in the studio with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. Phone line is open, 356-9397. couple of callers on hold. Let's go to Thomas uh, Thomasboro and Virgil. Go ahead. You're on the air, Virgil. Yes, uh, I just want to make a comment on on uh, Darren. Uh, my first impression of the Fletchers was uh, was his uh, grandfather. Yeah, who, uh, he could throw, couldn't he? <laughs> he he could throw a drop ball. <laughs> seemed to drop three to four feet. I mean. He was just tremendous, and and, and uh, I I think you just came by your talent through heredity. Well, that's nice no doubt about say. that, is there? Yeah, Grandpa was a big part of my life, and and uh, oh. he he just loved 
everybody in this area and played in EI baseball for a long time and pitched professionally for seven or eight years. Another great pitcher was uh, Sonny Tate. No, yes, no. Sonny no. Tate. See, that's no. what we used to – when I was in uh, – uh, 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 A lot of people didn't know he always – I knew him first as, as Sonny rather than Lauren. Well, that's what I said to the fan. I, uh, I've got some friends here, and you know, it, around my house when I was a boy, it was always Sonny Tate when they would mention yeah. Lauren Tate. Uh, well, with yeah. uh, let's with not everything. be confused. Your grandfather and your dad were a lot better pitchers. Well, but I'm just Way saying your name was that. <laughs> I think I think maybe it might have been a comment one time that. Well, he's nice now, but when he when he was a pitcher, he was mean as a snake. <laughs> mean, boy. He, he. I don't know. I, yeah. I might have let one slip. You know? <laughs> I'm not sure anybody said he's nice now. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Virgil, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Oh, okay, thank you. Yep. Have a good day. Let's go to Walt in Champaign. Hey, Walt. Hello. Go ahead. Uh, I do have a baseball comment. Uh, I certainly agree with. Uh, uh, following the rules with respect to technology and the stealing of signs. As someone who uh, occasionally turns a game on in the summer, though, I, I, under, uh, I realize that if there's a decent pitcher pitching, I'm probably going to see somebody strike out 10 or 12 in five or six innings, whether they're sign stealing or not. Are we going to affect the balance uh, e- uh, even more between pitchers and hitters with, with changes in this uh, technology area? I'm interested in your comments. Talk about the imbalance of things, Darren. Well, he, he makes a good point because once I started hearing about um, all this sign-stealing stuff, uh, I, and I, I don't follow baseball as much as I used to, but I do know that strikeouts are way up. Yeah. So in my opinion, if there was, a, if there was an epidemic of sign-stealing throughout the league, in my opinion, I think the strikeouts would go down. Mm-hmm. You would see a lot more balls in play because you know what's coming. Um, but the opposite is happening. There's more and more strikeouts occurring all the time. And I think last year, am I right? Maybe the the record amount of strikeouts were Absolutely. recorded last yes. year. So it is a bit of an oddity for me that this is going on at this at, at the same time. And he makes a good point by that. Uh, as far as the balance is concerned, um, you know, the, with that – you know that it's very tough, like they say. You know, seven out of ten times you're you're, you're failing. So the the hitters are always looking for an edge. I think though that's the it's an integrity of the game issue that you need to clean it up. As well, far it could as the be only a very concerned. few teams. And remember, you can only do it when you're home. There's no way you're going to be able to get a center field camera going when you're on the road. Right. Yeah. So, the the so, live feed. Right. So may, if the Astros were doing it, they were only doing it for half the games, and then it would also take you a while each game to get the signals. I mean, you just wouldn't know automatically going into no, a game. No, it would take you a so little bit. So it may not be, you know, in this, you're right in the fact that it's not every pitch that they know what's coming. It's, it, it, for me as a hitter, I would really like to know what the pitch would be, let's say two and two, bottom of the ninth, man on second base, it's the winning run. Oh, that, that'd be an opportune time you to bet. get a, a to get a flash, and that's really maybe what it is. Is that you're that's the time to be able to have the advantage. Now, during the the course of the game, I don't think that there would be a huge percentage of signs being being stolen, other than than um, than if they use some sort of advanced technology where every player has got some sort of buzz. And I, I know I know for a fact too, especially because I played in the steroid era and I was clean. 
there was a lot of guys that were even in the steroid era that felt that it was morally wrong to take steroids. They felt like it was cheating. You know, you're 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 taking an uh, illegal drug to jack yourself up to hit home runs. I think even in Major League Baseball now there is there is guys that are think that it's morally wrong to sit there and know what's coming. One, they may not want it, but two, they feel that it has it, it affects the integrity of the game and they won't do it. I think. But it, if you know everybody else is doing it. It's yeah, just like, and that's what happened in the steroid era is that you're you're hearing whisperings of, well, he's on it. Boy, I better get on it because I want to be as good as him. And, and that's how it all kind of snowballs and, and probably the same way, too, with the sign-stealing thing is that, well, you know, the Astros are doing it. We better we better get on top of this and because uh, they're doing it. We better uh, have an opportunity to have a, a key pitch given to us, too. So I think the commissioner's office is going to clean it up, uh, but don't oh. know how. I don't want to say anything that might affect your pension as a, <laughs> as a former former baseball player, but some of the steroid guys paid the price. They did, they did. I don't know if can, I don't can think they, they do that with this. I, I mean, nobody's really penalized any players. That's true. That's an, that's another point. The players are, and really, a lot of this stuff is coming from the players. Right. This is not some sort of coordinated effort. I don't think by AJ Hinch right. or Cora. I think that's something that they had done and they had talked about it. Uh, but yeah, where's the where's the penalty being paid by the players? It's pitchers that are telling them, and the pitchers don't. Yeah, yeah the <laughs> pitchers don't want to. They're the ones that want to get it cleaned up, is because it's their pitches that are being that are being taken. Um, my thing is, is that okay? If you start diving in and start letting guys go, you know how deep does it cut? Right. Does it does it really hurt the league? Does does it does it gut the Astros so much that that it ruins the organization because? Ticket sales are down. Everyone doesn't want to go to the games anymore because their star players are not there anymore. So it's a it's a tough little thing going on right now, and it'll be interesting to see how this shakes out going forward. You've got the Hot Stove Banquet today. You run by the Big Ten Baseball Coach of the Decade. How yeah. about that, Dan Hartlett? Dan Hartlett had some great years, you know. Casey played on uh, a couple years in 14 and 15, and that 2015 team was something special to watch. Really enjoyed those times. Uh He's been here for what? I called him when he when he when it was announced. He's been on campus like thirty five years or something. <laughs> you know, was an assistant coach for maybe yeah. mm-hmm. you know half that, and then the other half the head coach. So, um, a great honor for him. Good stuff. I'm glad you uh, made time to stop by and visit with us. Thank you. Always a pleasure, guys. Darren Fletcher, everybody. We'll take a break at ten. 10- 17. Be back with more. We'll talk some Illinois basketball. More about the game this afternoon against the Northwestern Wildcats at the State Farm Center. Stay with us back after this. Moving up on 1020 here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly with you until 11. Many thanks to Darren Fletcher for stopping by on his way over to the Illini Baseball Hot Stove Banquet, which uh, is scheduled for today. Ahead of a busy day, the Illinois basketball this afternoon at 4 o'clock against Northwestern. If you're watching uh, television this afternoon, you might want to check out the East-West Shrine Bowl. A couple of Illini football players will be in action there. Running back Reggie Corbin and Dele Harding representing uh, the uh, Fighting Illini, the 95th edition of the East-West Shrine Game. It is uh, down in St. Petersburg, Florida, 3 o'clock, actually 2 o'clock our time on NFL Network, if you happen to get that opportunity, Lauren, for a couple of Illini guys maybe to to up their status in the eyes of NFL teams. I think uh, Harding, especially at linebacker, had a tremendous year, and 
they'll be looking at him pretty closely, I think. So that's uh, coming up uh, this afternoon at 2 o'clock. Illinois basketball this afternoon against Northwestern. The Illini coming off a week off of uh, game action anyway. They uh, worked pretty hard uh, this week to uh, to work on some things. One thing uh, we noticed and we talked about it quite a bit is the the play of Trent Frazier uh, lately, uh, Lauren. He's, he's no turnovers for five games since the last time that happened yeah. for, by anybody. Yeah, it, was, it was a long time. Here's what uh, Trent had to say about that. You know, Coach just told me that today. Um, you know, I, I've been, you know, been taking care of the ball. Um, everything's just so much easier out there, the flow of the game, you know, just being my third year. Um, I don't get, you know, sped up, you know, or out of control. Everything's just, you know, so smooth. So I'm just playing comfortable out there, and um, I get to take care of the ball and just make the right play. Yeah, it's remarkable at this level. I mean, go five games without without turning it over, and you know. And I, I told him today. I said, I don't want, I don't want you to not try to make plays, thinking about whether you turn it over or not. I need you to still make the right basketball play. And he hasn't. He, had, I mean, he hadn't thought about it. It's probably my fault for bringing it up. Um, but he's playing so well and and running our team and getting us into stuff and the initial thrust and, uh, but. Uh, yeah, it speaks volumes to him. I mean, he was he was a guy that just shot it, you know, and that's all he thought about was shooting it and shooting it and shooting it. And now he's guarding. I mean, he, in my opinion, he's the elite on-ball defender in this league. And, you know, that's uh, to our defense starts, and it starts with him with the ball in his hands on the offensive end. So right now that's a really, really good starting point on both ends of the court. Trent Frazier averaging about nine points a game. And he's only 11 points away from hitting the 1,000 mark in his career. Just another milestone, um, you, know, I, you know. Obviously, this means a lot for me and my family. Um, you know, to be able to, you know, represent this organization and be one of those players, you know, to to make that accomplishment. Um, but um, it's bigger than that. You know, we're winning now. You know, that's that that means more, much more to me. Um, you know, we're taking this program to another level. You know, it's just this is fun. So. Um, I just love coming out, coming out here every day with these guys, you know, and just getting after each other and just getting better. That's Trent Frazier. The ball's been in his hands a little more often lately, too. Ball's in his hands. What we need is getting more shots. Yes. And probably more ball screens and more something to get him open for because he is deadly. I mean, he is really deadly from the three-point range. They say Illinois is not a good shooting three-point team, and they are not based on their statistics. But he is. If, he, if he's open on the line, there's a difference between being – leaning over the line and on the line and that shot from three feet back of the line. There's just a big difference. And Illinois doesn't shoot that long and near that well. Yeah, Robbie Hummel talked about that in our interview uh, yeah. in the first yeah. hour about uh, the worst shot in uh, basketball is the, the toe on the three-point line. And yeah. He had a lot of those. But uh, Trent is playing well. Iowa is playing well. The Illini back in the uh, top 25 for the first time in five years at number 24. And as we talked about earlier, the key now is to stay there. Yeah, and you know, if you are right on that line, you know, a couple inches back, there is a stroke, that, a rhythm that you develop over time. When you're on that line that you, you get about the right distance on that shot, it's much harder to get the right distance when you're three feet back of that. It's just a, it's a, it's a more strained shot. Strained. I think the, uh, the numbers are down across the country. I think they'll take a closer look at that uh, at the end of the year. Yeah. I don't know beyond that if it's doing what they thought it would do. I just think that the defenses are more alert to it. Everybody's trying to guard that. They don't care if you shoot a 15-foot jumper or 17-foot jumper. That's okay. You're not going to beat me with twos, they're saying. You know, The, the, the three-point shot is really being guarded, and it's being guarded particularly, particularly against those players that are good at it. Those players that are not good at it, like 
Demonte Williams, like uh, like Georgie, they're open a lot. I wonder why that is, Steve. <laughs> you um, you mentioned three pointers. Michigan took thirty four three pointers last night and lost ninety to eighty three. But the big discrepancy in that ball game was at the foul line. Well, you believe that home team shot twenty what twenty seven twenty eight? What was it? It was um, twenty eight to five. Iowa made 27 out of 30, and Michigan made four out of five. Oh, say 27 to four. Yes. Okay. In made foul shots. Wow. The game in Iowa City. So they they were outscored by 23 points at the free throw line. Yes. As a and there, somebody will come back and tell them, say, well, that's officiating. I don't know about that. It may be the way they played. Maybe they for maybe the officials were forced to call those fouls against the visiting team because they played differently. Iowa won that game 90 to 83 to improve to four and three in the Big Ten. Michigan still in the top 20, but they're now two and four in the league. The other game last night, uh, Michigan State beat Wisconsin, jumped on Wisconsin early in that game, and won by 12, 67, 55. So uh, the Spartans are six and one. I have seen multiple Wisconsin games where they start the game and you wonder if they're ever going to score. I mean, I saw one game where they had no points after six minutes, or after, yeah, after six minutes. And the game last night, they had two points, at, I think, when they were behind, what, 10 to 2, something like that. And it's hard to, now, of course, you got the whole game to catch up, but there's something about the Wisconsin, they just have a, a hard time getting started. Well, the uh, Big Ten home court advantage now is up to 38-6. and six. Illinois hopes uh, that uh, continues today, this afternoon. Michigan State leads the Big Ten at 6-1. and one. Rutgers and Illinois are tied for second at 4-2 uh, and two in the conference. Then at 4-3, and three, you've got Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota. At 3-3, three and three, you've got Indiana, Maryland, <coughs> Purdue. At 2-4, and four, Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, Nebraska, and Northwestern is one and five, so still pretty jumped up there, jumbled up, and with as many as who knows making the NCAA tournament field eight, nine, ten. What do you think? I think it's getting closer. Well, I think it's close to ten. I I, I don't think they want to take that many from one league, but you've got and and by the way, there's nobody in the top ten from the Big Ten. Right. <laughs> they're all they're all crowded in there, you know, right at the bottom of the of the top twenty-five, just with the with the numbers that are in there from. You you go from about 17 or 18 all the way down to 35. You got practically the whole league. Yeah, Michigan State's the highest at uh, number 15. Ohio State is 21st. Illinois 24th. Maryland 17. Michigan 19. As we stand right now, it is 10:28. Uh, Let's take a break. We'll talk more about uh, the Northwestern Wildcats when we continue on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Join us later today for Illini men's basketball back in action against Northwestern at 4 o'clock. 2.30 Illini game day from State Farm Center with Scott Beatty today. Welcome back to the show, everybody. 10.31 with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly. This is Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock. We got going at 9. Phone line is open, 356-9397. If you'd like to join us. Had all kinds of conversations, some football conversation this morning. Greg McMahon joined us to talk about uh, the LSU uh, National Championship. Greg, a former Illinois assistant coach, now a member of the coaching staff at LSU, special teams coach. Kent Brown visited with us. We talked basketball with Robbie Hummel. Darren Fletcher, Illini Hall of Famer, baseball player. Talked about the uh, Major League Baseball situation. Now we're going to go back to basketball and talk uh, about the Northwestern Wildcats. This is our friend Dave Ennett. 
the voice of the Wildcats, joins us from WGN Radio. Good morning, Dave. How are you? Uh, Steve, I'm good. Uh, Lauren, good morning. Happy good morning. New Year, fellas. Same to you. Tell us more about this uh, Northwestern team. We've watched them off and on uh, so far this season. They've been in, in uh, quite a few ball games. I thought they had Indiana beat a while back. And uh, <laughs> uh, is this a team that uh, you see improving? Well, I, I do, Steve, but it's a qualified improvement because they're they're down two guys who I think uh, could make a big difference in this in this team. One is Anthony Gaines, and uh, Illinois fans know all about him a junior guard, their defensive stopper. He underwent shoulder surgery two weeks ago, and and uh, he's out for the season, played in uh, the first 10 games, uh, played against uh, Michigan State, I think was his last game, and they had a chance in that game. They, they cut it down. I think it was one possession game with uh, less than two minutes to go and, and just couldn't quite get over the hump. Uh, and then Boo Booey. Uh, who Illinois fans don't know, but he's a freshman guard who uh, has had really come on and suffered a stress fracture, and he's out indefinitely, and he's been out for a couple of weeks now, and they've really missed him because he was a guy who had really come on. He had 26 against Michigan State, 25 against an improved DePaul team, another game they probably should have won, and, uh, and yet they've been able to hang in there with a limited – uh, group because they only had uh, two Sundays ago at Minnesota. They had seven scholarship players. AJ Turner also missed that game with an injury. So they've been kind of beat up, and then they've taken their lumps, but they've managed to to hang in there in games. Just aside from the Nebraska game, haven't been able to close it out. Talk a little bit about what's made them effective. Uh, you've got uh, Miller Cop, uh, leading scorer, at 13 points a ball game, and then uh, the pointers played well, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. He's an interesting story. He's he's a, a graduate transfer who was a, a lacrosse player at Loyola of Maryland, and and not just any lacrosse player, but he was the best in the country. Won the Tawaritan Trophy, which is the equivalent of the Heisman in lacrosse. And but he had been a high school basketball player, played very well in high school, but wanted uh, he he figured he had one more year he could play. He wanted to take a shot at it and. Uh, Tavares Hardy, who played at Northwestern, of course, is, uh, is the head men's basketball coach at Loyola, and uh, he and Chris Collins had been in communication, and uh, Northwestern needed a point guard, and they felt Spencer could help fill that void. He's been terrific. I mean, he's been really, I, I think when we first found out he was coming, it was kind of like, well, that's kind of a, a cool story. It'll be kind of a, a curiosity, but he's turned out to be, uh, I think much better than anybody expected. And a uh, guy who's kind of carried them, they beat Bradley down on the Fort Myers tip off. And, uh, you know, Bradley's got a good team and, and Spencer led the way. I mean, he did everything in that game. So, you know, I think that's helped, but uh, I think, I think Bowie is a guy who's going to be a really good player for this team down the road, but uh, is hurt right now. Miller has been very good. And the other guy's taken a step this year, guys, uh, Miller Cop, uh, you know, I think certainly has has improved from his freshman year, and he's become one of the more reliable three point shooters now in the Big Ten. And he's looking for a shot more, but he's also become a more all around, uh, more of a versatile player, I think, and and can do more than shoot the three. And the other guy is Pete Nance. Uh, Nance and Cop came in together, highly regarded recruits. Uh, Nance had his freshman year interrupted by a bout with mononucleosis, missed nine games, 
so he he's still kind of finding his way, but uh, he's he's been pretty solid. And then they have a redshirt freshman center by the name of Ryan Young, who's uh, come in replacing Derek Pardon, who was such a good player for them for so many years. And and I think Young's done a nice job as well. So I think that's kind of the core right there, along with a guy named Robbie Barron, who's been starting after the injury to Bowie, and uh, a guy that I think is is going to be a, a starter throughout his career at Northwestern. One of the, this is Lauren. One of the things that I uh, notice about this one thing you're pretty young, and the other thing is, boy, there's a lot of height there. Baron six nine, Nance six ten, Jones six ten, Cop six seven. I mean, there's there's few teams uh, any taller than this, are there? And and they play long too, Lauren. Uh, but you're right. I mean, that's something Chris Collins has talked about throughout the season. They uh, they have pretty good wingspan on this team and uh yeah they got a lot of they got a lot of height it's probably the tallest team northwestern's had it's one of the tallest teams in the big 10 and uh, you know nance is a guy who can play around the basket he can step out on the wing uh so you know he's going to be that versatile kind of a player uh, robbie Barron is a guy that uh, chris has likened to uh, jake layman remember him from maryland a couple of years ago and uh <laughs> He's, I've seen him make some really athletic plays too. Not, you know, he's he, he is long. He's he's got good reach. He blocks shots, and and yet he's also a, a very good three point shooter. So I think, you know, these are guys. They're they're, I think, going through some growing pains right now, which Chris expected they would this year. I mean, losing guys like Pardon and Vic Law is tough. And you look at the talent they've lost over the last few years. I mean, Bryant McIntosh and Scotty Lindsay and guys like that. But I think that they've got the makings here of uh, another team that I think in a, a year or so is going to be kind of reminiscent of what they did in 2017. You know, uh, we talk a lot around here because uh, Illinois has so few uh, players from the state. I mean, the Sumu and, and uh, Williams are the only, in, in the Rutgers game, they're the only two Illinoisans who played in in that game, Native Illinois went to high school, and you don't have any. In the top ten scores, there's not a single guy from the state of Illinois. Almost everybody from uh, East, several from Catholic schools, uh, Young's from uh, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Cop is from mm-hmm. uh, Houston, Christian. Uh, I just find it kind of interesting that, that uh, the way that Collins has put this team together, and again, without any Illinois players. Well, and, you know, it's something that Northwestern's always had to do, I think is is kind of recruit nationally because of you know, they have a smaller pool from which to recruit. And although although I do know they were pretty close to uh, to landing Dosumu, I mean I think at uh, at one point I, I think uh, Northwestern was very high on his list. But but if you remember, Vic Law was an Illinois guy. Scotty Lindsay was an Illinois guy. So you know they they yeah. certainly have had those guys. But but uh, yeah, lately. Uh, uh, for whatever reason, they they have uh, they have gone to a more national uh, roster here, and you know again, I think these are guys who are going to be good players. I think that you know Chris has the the recruiting. You know he's got a nice new arena now to recruit to, which helps. They opened uh, a couple of months ago a brand new uh, training center adjacent to Wells Ryan Arena. That's as good as anything there is. So I think, you know, uh, look, we all know what facilities mean. Illinois has done it, and now Northwestern has been doing it, and, and I think uh, they're seeing some results from it. 
Well, talk about the game today. Uh, what do you see in terms of uh, what would Northwestern have to do to beat Illinois? They'll, they'll be an underdog. By the way, it's, it's another road game for uh, teams on the road haven't done very well in the Big Ten. No, they certainly haven't. But, you know, I think that it, this is kind of more of the same for Northwestern because they've been an underdog in every game they've played. And um, on the road, certainly, they were, they were favored last week over Nebraska at home, and they won that game. And, you know, they they have managed to hang in these games, Lauren, but I think the the one thing that's concerning for Northwestern about this game, aside from it being in Champaign, is is Illinois' strength on the backboards. It's the number one rebounding team, rebounding margin, the number one offensive rebounding team, and uh, Northwestern is the bottom-ranked offensive rebounding team. And yeah, they managed to out-rebound Iowa the other night, and and – you know, I think for them to win a game like this and to be in a game like this, you know, they're they're going to have to go hard to the offensive boards and give themselves second chances. And they were able to do that for a while against Iowa until Garza kind of took over that game in one stretch in the second half. So, you know, to me, that's the key in this game. Can they can they contain Coburn, who's been so good? And uh, you know, the guy who killed him down here last year was Andres Feliz. You know, he kept going to the free throw line in the second half of that game. so But I, I think it comes down to their rebounding. You know, they didn't have their legs uh, against Iowa. I'm not – this isn't anything that, that – uh, certainly they don't need me to make excuses for, and this is just – I'm quoting what, what Chris said after the game. They were playing their fourth game in ten nights, and, you know, that you could just see it kind of wore them down um, in the second half against Iowa and, and Garza and – you know, I think that uh, at least they've had a couple of days off now, and uh, they also had a long bus ride down here in the storm yesterday. So, I, you know, they got in here late last night, so it'll be interesting to see. But I think they'll be a little, you know, they always, as you know, and Lauren, you and I have talked about this many times over the years, Northwestern is always ready for Illinois, or at least they try to be. And, and uh, I, you know, I know that, Sometimes that's been a problem for Illinois against Northwestern because they haven't looked at this as, as the same kind of rivalry that Northwestern has. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Does it carry the same weight for the Northwestern athletes um, from football to basketball as far as the rivalry with Illinois goes? Uh, you mean, do they look at it the same as the football guys? Yeah. Is that what you're asking? Uh-huh. Well, yeah, I think they do because, um, you know, just they see these guys a lot, not only – the games they play against them, but they see them in the summer. You know, a lot of them uh, see see each other in the off season, or they've played somewhere along the way in their careers on their way up. And uh, but obviously, uh, Pat Fitzgerald has has made this uh, such a huge rivalry in football. So it's hard to match that. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think they do. They understand Illinois is the, the, the state university, and and. You know, I think that they understand the significance of, and, and look, you know, let's face it, they just they need to win some games, and uh, you know, I think they they go home for the next couple of games. Uh, they're in a stretch here where where this is one of just two road games, I think, in a span of seven games. So, you know, I think that that has a lot of bearing on them too. Hey, Dave, we appreciate your time. We'll see you over at the arena this afternoon. Sounds good. Always a pleasure, Steve Lauren. We'll see you later. Thanks, yep. Dave. Dave Ennett with us from WGN Radio, the voice of the Northwestern Wildcats. Moving up on 1044, we'll take a break. When we come back, we'll 
let you hear from a couple of Cardinal players, St. Louis Cardinal players in town for yesterday's Cardinals Caravan in Champaign-Urbana. Back with that and more. Phone line is still open, 356-9397. Back after this. Join us on Sunday for more Illini women's basketball. Mike Kuhn has the play-by-play from Columbus, Ohio. It's Illinois and Ohio State at 1 Sunday on DWS. 10.47 on DWS, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Let's go back to the phones uh, real quick. Alan in Montrose, what do you say, Alan? Morning, guys. Uh, what's the status of Tevin and Jones? You kind of mentioned it already. Uh, how bad uh, his ankle injury? Oh, boy, I don't know. Steve, do you know? He uh Brad Underwood did not mention him yesterday in his uh, comments. Nobody uh, brought it up, did they? Nope. Uh, so he rolled an ankle, but uh, don't really have an update there. But he's not, I mean, if you've been watching, he's not very prominently uh, figuring in the rotation. So I don't know. No, he's not. But we could have used him if he was healthy. But uh, the way his season's gone, I'll be shocked if he's back next year. Well, you may not be the only one in that uh, that corner. We'll just have to wait and see how that plays out. But uh, the way the rotation's working right now, I'm not sure you want to mess with it too much. You've got yeah. eight guys that are... I like the way he finished the game. He just played those three guards all right. the way. What, what else you got, whatever Alan? Works. That's it. Just whatever works. Let's go get him today. That's right. Have a little better offense. That would be nice. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Three five six nine three nine seven ten forty eight. The St. Louis Cardinals caravan in town yesterday at the I Hotel. Another good crowd, a few hundred people showing up. They were in line an hour before uh, the Cardinals actually were scheduled to start. The uh, players on hand were Tommy Edmond, Daniel Ponce de Leon, Matthew uh, Liberator, and uh, Nolan Gorman. Had a chance to visit with Tommy Edmond. He's kind of a spark plug kind of guy that came up uh, early June last year. Ended up with 99 hits, 15 stolen bases, 59 doubles. Had a pretty productive year. Played several different positions. He played 41 games at third base, 23 at second base, and 11 games in right field. Had a chance to visit with him for a couple of minutes. Yeah, it was so much fun. Uh, we played really well second half of the year, and um, just to get the chance to uh, play with the Cardinals back in playoffs again, and um, couldn't have asked for much better of a first year. Obviously, it would have been better if we got to the World Series, but um, just can only hope to improve on that next year. Talk about your versatility. That's one thing I think is a key for you in, in finding a spot to play. Mm-hmm. And do you have a favorite position? Um, I mean, I've, I've played the most up the middle in the past, like second and shortstop, but um, I've definitely gotten way more accustomed to third base and the outfield, obviously, in the past year. And um, as long as I'm on the field, I don't really mind where I'm playing, just as long as I'm out there just helping us win any way I can. Talk about what it felt like to come up and maybe uh, what you learned from some of the veterans that have been around there a long time. You saw them in spring training, of course, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, you got to be kind of a sponge in that situation, don't you? Yeah, no, it's really cool. I mean, especially having all the all the older guys on our team that we have. I mean, there's so much knowledge uh, after being around the game for 10, 15 years. I mean, you got guys like, like Yachty and Wainwright who have been Cardinals since 2004, 2005, and um, just all the information that I can absorb, I, I do. And um, fortunately, all the, they're all uh, super welcoming and, and really want to help out the younger guys as much as they can. Did you have a favorite baseball team growing up? Um, I, I mean, I grew up in San Diego, so I watched the Padres a lot. Um, they didn't necessarily have too many great years uh, during the years that I was growing up. They had a couple, couple uh, I think back in like 
maybe like 2006 through 2007, 2008, where they were pretty good. Um, so I liked watching like like Adrian Gonzalez. Those were my favorite hitters to watch. Um, and I'm trying to think who else was on there. Actually, Khalil Green, who was a shortstop for the Padres, then played for the Cardinals a little bit later. He was really fun to watch on defense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I pretty much grew up watching the Padres, and I would say they were my top team to watch growing up. What do you feel your strengths are to this uh, roster? Is it the versatility? Yeah, I think that's one of them for sure. Um, I think just being able to contribute to the game in a lot of different ways, uh, whether it's the yeah, versatility on defense and playing wherever they need me, and also um, uh, obviously at the plate, given given consistent at bats, and then on the base pass as well, just causing havoc out there and, and stealing bases and making the pitchers think about me, and hopefully giving our hitters. Uh, better pitches to hit. So I think just the ability to impact the game in a variety of ways. You probably dreamed a long time about playing Major League Baseball. When you first got up, uh, was, mm. it, was it everything you thought it would be? Yeah, definitely. Um, especially my first game was at Wrigley. Um, I think it was a Sunday night baseball game in Wrigley, and that was just a crazy experience. The fans were pretty rowdy, and um, yeah, just, I mean, a fun first game to play in for sure, and I think it also helped me out for later in the season that had already been, ex been exposed to that type of environment. That's St. Louis Cardinal infielder, outfielder, Tommy Edmond. Can he beat out uh, Matt Carpenter for that third base slot? I will tell you that where he plays and how much he plays will tell you a lot about how the Cardinals go into this season or how they go through the season because we don't know what who the third baseman is going to be. It could be any one of three or four guys that they don't even have on their own team right now. And uh, as far as right field is concerned, Steve, I don't know what's going to happen with Fowler out there. Right. Well, Edmund had uh, 15 stolen bases, which led the team. He had um, 11 home runs. He had a little little more pop than I thought uh, he, did. he might have. So he's certainly a guy that's in the um, planning for the Cardinals this year. A guy that's a couple of years away, certainly at least, but he was uh, a new addition to the team just in the last few days. Matthew Liberator is his name. And he's a 20-year-old left-handed pitcher acquired in that deal with Tampa, Ray, uh, Tampa Bay. The Rays had a chance to visit with him a little bit about the that trade. Yeah, I was uh, totally surprised it happened in probably a 30-minute span. Um, got a phone call from my agent, called my dad to give him a heads up, and within the next 15 minutes I was traded to the Cardinals. Um, and as far as what I bring to the club, I think I bring a good attitude to the field every day. Um, I'm going to give 110% every time I step on the field and try and give my team the best opportunity when possible. So I'm always going to compete. What are you hearing about how far you might be away from uh, the Major League roster? No clue yet. Um, I know I'm reporting to Big League Camp on February 11th, and after that I have no clue what's happening. So just going to go out there and perform to the best of my abilities, and we'll see where it goes from there. Talk a little bit about your background, how you got to this point. Played four years of summer ball at the Central Florida Gators. Um, that was where I got introduced to college coaches. Um, I was fortunate enough to play for a coach who coached at University of Miami and University of Central Florida. Um, so he had a lot of connections on the college and pro side. Um, and my junior year of high school is when Pro Scouts started showing up to my high school games, just a couple here and there. And then uh, going into senior year, um, it really kind of went into full swing. And I had quite a few scouts at every game and ended up getting picked uh, 16th overall by the Tampa Bay Rays. And then went and played in the GCL and uh, advanced rookie in Princeton uh, in 2018, 2019. Went to Brookwith Extended, stayed there for about a month and went to Bowling Green in May. Finished the season with the Bowling Green Hot Rods, and then this offseason got traded to the Cardinals. Did you have a favorite team growing up? 
Uh, yeah, I was always a Yankees fan growing up. Um, my entire family, mom and dad's side, are both from back east. Um, so they grew up Yankees fans and kind of passed that tradition on to me. So I just kind of grew up loving the Yankees. That's Matthew Liberator, spelled L-I-B-E-R-A-T-O-R-E, 20 years old, another in a line of tall pitchers. He's 6'6". Six, 6'6", six. Six, six and left-hander, that's, and got a fastball, and so he, that's, that's all good. He immediately went to the position of the number one Cardinal pitching prospect, number two prospect overall in the Cardinals organization, according to the the folks that uh, rank those. So, uh, and he's been mentioned in trade possibilities, even yes. you know. But I, man, I, that's the kind of guy you you want to see uh, in your minor league, uh, you know, on the way up because if he can make it, you can sure use a left-handed. Cardinals have been real short-handed, left-handed. Yeah, ten fifty-five. Need to take one final break. We'll do that. Be back with some final words after this. About ninety seconds before. 11 o'clock. Four games on the uh, Big Ten basketball schedule today. Illinois and Northwestern this afternoon at four. Games getting underway. One game getting underway here in just a couple of minutes. Out at Happy Valley, number 21, Ohio State is at Penn State. At one o'clock, Purdue plays at uh, number 17, Maryland. And then at six o'clock tonight, Indiana is at Nebraska. Then tomorrow, one game, Minnesota plays at Rutgers. The Illini Lauren about a 12-point favorite over the Wildcats. Yeah, this is a this is a team that that beat Illinois last year at Northwestern in that new arena that was new at the time, and uh, I'm not going to go into the details, but it's it's pretty nice. Uh, although the people have such a, a, a big area to uh, eat and drink behind the stands, they don't come into the they don't sit down until the game's ready to tip off. But uh, Illinois lost on a last shot by AJ Turner on a rebound. Illinois had the lead. And ran the clock down on themselves. Didn't get a shot. They had a one-point lead and wound up losing that game and then won in overtime in the Big Ten tournament against Northwestern. Four o'clock this afternoon is game time. Thanks to our guest today, Greg McMahon, LSU assistant coach, Kent Brown, U of I associate athletic director, Robbie Hummel from BTN. We heard from Brad Underwood and Trent Frazier. Darren Fletcher was here. We visited with Dave Ennett and heard from Tommy Edmond and Matthew Liberator with the Cardinals. For Lauren Tate, I'm Steve Kelly. Thanks for listening, everybody, and have a great weekend.